2, The Power of More from Brockmeier and Zalo. Innovation Thinking Today's episode is about the future of blockchain. We are speaking to the founding president of the Global Association for BSV Blockchain. Before we get our special guest into the conversation, I would like to introduce the co-host of the podcast, Dieter Brockmeier, the innovation expert at the Diplomatic World Institute. Hello, Dieter. How are you today? I'm fine and very uh, uh, happy that we have Jimmy as our guest today. I met him in a different world in 2016, I think, and in Moscow. Uh, I don't think not too many people will, go, will be in Moscow right now for, for international conferences. Um, and I was really thrilled by his approach uh, towards the blockchain and his uh, enthusiasm. So I'm really happy to have you here, especially in these days with the crypto winter and the uh, blockchain going down. So really interesting uh, what you will have to say. Yeah, now to our special guest, Jimmy Nguyen. Hello, Jimmy. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you, gentlemen. I'm happy to be here and happy to be talking to you, no matter what the crypto market prices are any given day. <laughs> Fantastic. Jimmy, before you enter the blockchain industry, you were a lawyer, mainly for intellectual properties. What was your motivation to focus on the blockchain, especially as a founding partner of a global association? Um, well, I came out of law school in the mid-1990s during the dot-com boom of the internet era. And so I spent most of my legal career um, navigating for companies the whole uh, emergence of a new technology system, you know, the data network that was the internet. And so after many years of um, representing startups and some of the biggest conglomerates in the world, such as, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, and Uber, um, uh, I always had to learn about whatever is the newest technology, right? When you are a technology lawyer in the digital space, you know, then came social media, then came more mobile applications. There's always something new to talk about. Privacy and security became a big issue over the last 15 years. And then when Bitcoin first got introduced to the world, I picked some attention to it. I had some clients that started exploring use of Bitcoin for a payment alternative, for example, the online gaming industry. Some of my clients looked at virtual assets and items and games. Some looked at virtual currency systems to make international money remittance more efficient. So I had to pay attention to it from a legal perspective. And then uh, some of my clients uh, ended up uh, getting involved to form um, one of the what is now one of the leading blockchain R&D firms in the world called N-Chain, which is based out of Switzerland and London. I was helping behind the scenes and they knew I was thinking of getting out of law after 21 years in corporate law firm life uh, and asked if I wanted to take a role. So I actually first did not join the BSV Association because it did not exist back then. This was around 2016. Um, I became CEO of the N-Chain company, which was building a large blockchain patent portfolio, one of the largest in the world, which is why my IP background was relevant. Um, I joined them and that's where I became thrust into the middle of the debates over whether the Bitcoin network should scale bigger or remain small and block size as the BTC network that people think of Bitcoin is. Um, mm -hmm. And then some, there's some internal civil wars in Bitcoin for many years that led to a split of the Bitcoin network into multiple chains. First Bitcoin Cash in 2017, then our version, Bitcoin SB, Satoshi Vision in 2018. 
to scale the network bigger to enable micropayments and bigger data. And that's how I ended up helping form the association, which is a nonprofit in Switzerland to lead the overall growth of BSV's network, just like Ethereum and the other blockchains have their own foundations. Perfect. That was actually the entire history of the blockchain industry in last just two sentences. I love that. What are the important topics and trends right now in this industry? Well, uh, the first thing that's top of mind is unfortunate, which is um, the recent, as we're recording this, which is right now on June 14th, over the last few weeks, uh, collapses of several different coins or products, which has caused, you know, a quite dramatic uh, collapse of the entire crypto market prices. So that's the unfortunate trend we have to talk about. This is not uncommon. I have been in this industry for over six years. And so I've seen rises and falls of price. Everyone's excited, you know, when the prices go up. And um, what we're seeing is how fragile crypto market prices are and why it scares the typical institutional investors and regular retail investors to get in. Everyone loves it when the prices go up. But because in my view, the unfortunate thing about the crypto market prices is most of the coin prices are not based in a lot of fundamental utility and real value. They're based on inflated, you know, hype and expectation, which means they can so easily collapse. And that is an unfortunate trend that I and the BSV ecosystem is really trying to get the industry out of. Let's build real use, real utility from these blockchains and digital assets, uh, particularly on BSV, which is what we support, so that the coin prices have some more fundamental value and they're less um, subject to dramatic rises and falls. But you know, recently we've seen the collapse of Terra and Luna, and just this past week, the Celsius DeFi network and its coin have been hit with significant liquidity problems and the coin prices itself collapsed and the entire market, as we've seen, has you know kind of dramatic downward shift in price. Well, the problem I see is that uh, the market right now is it's driven very much by by people that are just going for for quick money. And even if you're bringing in models that have uh, have value, like I remember the IC, uh, the, the ICO uh, trend when everybody was uh, trying to fund uh, companies via uh, ICOs initial coin offerings, uh, what is a great idea, but um, it, uh, the movement was flooded by so many bad products uh, that uh, it was destroyed. So it was the first crypto winter I experienced. Um, so what can you do against uh, such a trend? Excellent question. I agree with you. A lot of the problems with, I think, the cryptocurrency markets are on bad or misguided financial products that are created. Um, that's what happened with Terra and Luna. You had an algorithmic stable coin, right, where the value of the coin is not pegged, you know, one coin to one US dollar. It's pegged to uh, an algorithm that itself is pegged to another coin, right? And so you're creating like sort of two layers of uncertainty rather than fundamental value. And this is where um, I think there's too much experimentation that is too aggressive with trying to create coin or financial products in the blockchain space where the under where they're staking or using value that's not inherent for more value too often. This is what's happened with Celsius, right? Where um, it's a product where you as a, cons or, you know, a coin holder can lend your coins to Celsius, right? They pay you back seven or 8% interest, I believe is the amount, which is, you know, pretty uh, aggressive. And then they can use your coins to stake, you know, in Ethereum networks for other purposes. And then there becomes this ongoing cycle of, 
uh, people offering good returns or the hope of you know coin escalation price. They take coins or assets and then use them for other purposes aggressively in the marketplace, or in the case of uh, Terra and Luna, um, creating the perception of a stable coin when the layers underneath it are kind of like a house of cards. It's, it's just too aggressive, the financial products that are being created, and they're unrealistic and therefore subject to a quick collapse. And um, while a lot of people don't like regulation, I think this is where regulators have to step in and um, uh, govern these financial products, right? Because they are different classes of financial products. And um, we should not lead investors to be harmed because uh, people create financial products that are unsound. I, I think that's the fundamental problem. Well, actually, that sounds a little bit like you are pro-regulation in the blockchain industry. I am pro-responsible regulation, especially as a former lawyer. I know that for um, uh, we can't avoid it. So let's stop pretending that governments are not going to regulate blockchain and digital assets. Um, I think the narrative by early Bitcoin supporters, who I call the crypto anarchist, crypto libertarians, that cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, digital assets were designed to be free of control of government and free of control of banks. I think that's just ludicrous. I want to see a world where these technologies are used at mass scale. And just like the internet grew out of the wild, wild west to a technology network that we use every day by billions of people, only once governments and big business and big investors got comfortable with the internet, the same thing needs to happen with blockchain and digital assets. We want to see this used at mass scale so that my sister, my mom is not afraid of, you know, of, of uh, interacting with digital assets because people are now in the collapse of the market with, I mean, can you imagine being a Terra Luna holder and all of a sudden having, you know, know 99 of your value wiped out that's come on that's 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 just wrong absolutely i mean a few a few minutes ago you uh, tried to avoid the uh fantastic name of ponzi scheme you called it the house of cards yeah um actually a lot of people are talking about the crypto winter is it a crypto ice time and uh, will all these zero things disappear one day well first of all um, I've been through a lot of crypto winters and crypto springs, right? So I know the market will eventually recover. It, it typically always does because there's always going to be the people who, you know, see an opportunity and buy up the, the coins again, right? And, and believe in the long-term um, future of blockchain digital assets. I do. However, I think today's world of over 15,000 cryptocurrencies is ridiculous. The world does not need that many coins or digital assets. Right. I think it will consolidate. And I think the current trend is not just because there's just been, you know, people selling off, right, coins and driving the price down. What's happened recently is the collapse of two house of cards, you can call them Ponzi schemes, um, that are exposing some fundamental problems with some of the assets out there. And I think it'll hopefully cause people to scrutinize more carefully what assets they should invest in. Hopefully regulators will start um, paying much closer attention um, to help weed out some of the bad, because uh, there's good in this industry, right? I do believe in it long-term. I believe in digital assets long-term, but we need to get rid of some of the bad products, as you know, Dieter would say. It's about the construction of financial products um, that promise too much that leverage too much assets that they collect from you know investors and consumers and do too much with them to the point where there's a serious risk of a failure 
Well, there there are no bad products. There are only uh, products that are badly prepared or badly presented or so where not the interest is behind of really making them a, 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 a true success. And yeah, that's, or, a, or and that's a problem. And of course, yeah. they will disappear, and it's good that they uh, disappear. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, what is your... Um, what are you assuming? How, uh, how will be the next steps? How long will this uh, winter last? Yeah, I personally try to stay out of the discussions about trading and what happens to market prices. Some people will try and predict the rise out of crypto winter from things such as the time towards the next block reward happening, for example, of the Bitcoin network, um, which will probably happen, I think, in about a year, year and a half. Um, but um, I, I personally uh, think this one's a little different. It's because of uh, the exposure of some bad financial products. Um, I prefer to focus on what I think is the more important trend, which is how do you drive real useful blockchain applications? And how do you actually drive Bitcoin and these digital assets to be used as Satoshi Envision, which is actually making internet payments peer-to-peer, me-to-you, anywhere in the world more efficient because we don't need an intermediary and how that can be done at micro level so that it changes the way the internet operates. You know, Elon Musk has been in the news because of his you know, attempt to take over Twitter. And one of the things he's talked about is how Twitter needs a micropayment you know, system. Um, for example, if you had to pay to tweet, that would uh, eliminate a lot of the bot accounts, which is a huge problem Elon has tried to um, identify about Twitter. And then how do they make money? Instead of selling your data to advertisers, um, you actually can get tipped um, every time someone likes or engages with your tweet. That sounds revolutionary. It already exists on the BSV network. There are social media platforms called Twitch, another one called Lament and Relica that are launching that use the micropayment capability of Bitcoin at scale to do this, because unlike the BTC network, which because of its smaller block size costs sometimes, you know, 80 cents, maybe a US dollar to send a transaction on our network, it's a one one hundredth to one twentieth of a US cent. So you can create new business models on the Internet where we're exchanging payments and generating revenue of a penny, less than a penny um, for your social media. Or think about if you had to pay every time you ran a Google Internet search, but you got better search results, better quality because there's no sponsored ad links. But if you paid to send an email to get it to somebody's top of their inbox, right, um, small amounts of money. What if instead of paying for a monthly newspaper digital subscription, which I don't like to do, I just want to read that one article. And I could pay 10 cents to read that one particular article taken out directly from my Bitcoin wallet. That's not possible with today's legacy finance systems and with most cryptocurrencies because the transaction fee is too high. But this is why we always believe in the Satoshi vision of scaling blockchain so big that the Bitcoin network can hold and process millions of transactions a second for tiny, tiny fees. You could change the way the internet and all business works. And I think that is a useful vision to pursue and would make blockchain and digital assets much more inherently valuable. But the number of uh, the number of uh, transactions uh, is is limited still. I mean, uh, you can with regular credit card, you can have lo- lots more transaction in, in a second right. than uh, yeah. you can on the blockchain right now. So that's a problem, I would say. It's absolutely the whole problem with BTC, which does at maximum because it has a one megabyte block size every ten minutes, you know, added to the blockchain on average, three to seven transactions a second on chain. That's it for the entire world. Visa does about an average of 2,000 transactions a second, and at peak periods, 50 to 60,000. 
our network has been able to demonstrate with new software we have coming out, the ability to hit 100,000 transactions a second, which will rival the Visa or MasterCard network. But we need to go much bigger than that to be able to process one day millions of transactions a second of both, not just payments, but data. Think about a world where we're living this new smart connected world, right? Where there are not going to be more devices than there are humans on the planet. And we foresee a world where the BSV network can be interacting with IoT devices in the internet. So all of your devices are exchanging payments. Uh, your you know, car and toll roads are paying you know, through a smart device that you know, sends Bitcoin payments to pay. Um, every time I enter my hotel room here, instead of using a key, maybe it's authenticated through a security token on my phone and some tiny payment is exchanged by whoever's the service provider doing ID authentication or your passport right information is handled mobily through NFTs on the blockchain and someone's processing all of that every exit and entry through an airport with tokens that are paid in tiny little BSV micropayments. That's the vision we're trying to build to. Fantastic. So actually, you're calling yourself the Global Association of BSV Blockchain. What is actually the role of China in your association? Um, well, we have uh, several hubs around the world regionally. China was our first one and one of our most robust because there are a lot of developers that are really interested in our space. And what's interesting about China, because I know obviously the government has a bit of an uneasy relationship with uh, cryptocurrencies these days. One of the reasons I think we've grown a lot in China is because we are so focused on the data utility, not on crypto trading, right? Unlike other versions of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, uh, we're, we're, we're not focused on trading. We're focused on making applications that use the data powers as well as these micropayment powers useful for daily life. Great. And other countries like, I don't know, Russia, India, and the, the, the big hubs of, uh, of growth? Sure. The other big hubs are in the Middle East. Um, we launched a hub there about a year and a half ago. It's one of our most active. We actually just held our most recent BSV Global Blockchain Convention there in Dubai. So that's a big one, which covers you know UAE, Saudi Arabia. We made a big push into Saudi earlier this year. Pakistan. We've led uh, delegations to do the first blockchain summit for government in Pakistan earlier this year. Bahrain and other neighboring areas. The U.S. is a big area of growth. Europe, because we're headquartered. In in Switzerland and some of our key partners are based in London. Um, we have a good chunk of companies in Australia of all places. Um, India is one of our next areas of growth. We have two uh, bright ambassadors there who are going to be starting to help us lead, particularly with developer training into India, but that's an area we need to do more in. Um, Russia has been on my mind, but it's been a little more difficult over the last year to you know, get things going there. Um, but I would say our key areas now, US uh, and uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, China, Australia. Okay. And we're cool. about to make a big push into Africa. So two of our uh, uh, ambassadors from BSV in West Africa are going to be running a developer summit for about a thousand developers in Abuya, Nigeria, at Bayes University on July 21st and 22nd, as a lead up to a much bigger event that we are being asked to do with the Nigerian government, with the National Inst uh, Information Technology Development Association, who uh, really wants to work with us to grow blockchain and BSV education and entrepreneurial um, uh, growth in, in Nigeria and West Africa generally. 
Yeah. Since we are actually here based in Frankfurt, Germany, Europe, I would like to be very interested in what would be your expectation for European politicians when it comes to this technical topic. Great question. In fact, we have a, a growing uh, German language effort for the DOC region as well. And I have a team of our association in uh, Berlin right now because there's a big uh, developers conference from a group called We Are Developers that's happening in Berlin. So that's do focus more on developer um, training and education. Um, in terms of the regulators, you know, Germany's been, you know, uh, with Boffin, it's been a little bit more at the forefront of, for example, regulating security token offerings, um, which I think is important because that is one of the types of products where you can run into problems, right? When you are creating a token of some asset that creates a covered or registered security. Um, what I would like to see from regulators are, it's hard to get regulatory clarity. I don't think that this new asset class of digital assets requires a lot of new laws. It's about how to interpret existing laws about securities, for example, money transmitter laws, KYC, AML compliance into the digital asset world. Um, what I like to see are sandbox programs, because if you're a startup entrepreneur and you want to launch one of these products, it's hard to get clear regulatory certainty from the regulators up front. Often they don't want to tell you we think that's legal or not legal, right? You can get a little bit of um, insight. But some of the countries that are using sandbox programs where they create a program where you can apply, get admitted to the sandbox, and get a sort of like a provisional blessing from the government to launch you know, your products or ventures. I think that is a good bridge way for governments to longer term figure out how I want to regulate this new asset class while still giving comfort to startup entrepreneurs to, to get going. Um, because you don't want to halt innovation. At the same time, most regulators don't want to say 100%, this is what we think is legal or not legal. Um, so I think that's one helpful approach. Um, but uh, you know, the other uh, thing that's important is to impose compliance requirements, but not to make them too burdensome. This is the problem when I talk to companies. They are sometimes afraid to launch in certain markets like the US, um, Germany, um, and uh, a few other countries because they think it's going to be too burdensome which is why the UAE has you know, recently been enacting through several of the Emirates, different virtual assets, regulatory acts, which are trying to send the signal, we want to invite companies here, we've got a licensing and compliance scheme, but they're also trying to send a signal to the market, we're not going to make it too difficult, so please talk to us. So uh, what's your... Um... Uh, what's your approach on digital euro or the digital dollar? Is will this be will this be helpful uh, to, for uh, for you or for the crypto markets? I think so, and I know that's what most crypto uh, believers would not say. Um, and we have to separate two things: CBDCs, central bank digital currencies that would be issued by, um, you know, a, a central bank, versus stable coins that are privately issued, which could be a digital dollar or digital euro. Uh, so I think both can be useful and valuable. And in fact, we have initiatives going on on BSV through Enchain to actually develop, and they've already uh, been in talks with central banks, to use a platform to issue CBDCs on BSV because you get the benefits of a super scaled, efficient public ledger. And then you could issue a CBDC because it's on a public ledger that has the transparency to the public of knowing the number of 
coins, units minted, right? What's happening with them? And I think there's value to that. So they've been in talks to some central uh, bank governments. So I think that um, central banks can issue CBDCs on blockchain. And I think there's a marriage there. Um, we are also working with, and I'm helping a colleague of mine uh, with a company to create C uh, stable coins, privately issued stable coins of all the world's leading major fiat currencies on BSV. So I think um, the reason that's helpful is if you want applications in the future to run using the efficiencies of Bitcoin digital currencies, a lot of consumers who are not crypto fans, they don't care whether it's Ethereum behind the scenes or BSV or you know Cardano. They just want to be able to get on an app and play a game or whatever, run an internet search and pay a little bit of money and get a little bit of money back. What the asset is underneath, most normal people do not care. And I want to see a world ultimately where the blockchain that runs, let's say, a coin, almost is just invisible. It's like plumbing to the outside world, just like, you know, nobody cares about how internet protocol works. As long as your, you know, children, your friends can whatever, play a game, engage on Twitter and Facebook using a digital dollar, whether it's central bank issued or privately issued, I think that's what people will care about and use in the long term. Yeah, it's a service actually that counts, not the technology behind it. Bingo, bingo. So all this fighting people are doing now over my blockchain is better than your blockchain, right? right. This is why the rest of the world is confused. They're like, oh my God, which, which, you know, I get asked this all the time, Jimmy, which coin should I buy? You know, should I, is Cardano a good coin? Is Dogecoin a good coin? And the reality the yellow, is the yellow one. Yeah. But yes. It, it, you know, it, it, one day this all won't matter. People just want something useful for daily life um, because we have to get out of this world where people buy coins now not to use them, which is the reality of most of the crypto market. Most of the people I know buy cryptocurrencies to hold and hope they get rich. They do not acquire them to use them in daily life. And that needs to change. Perfect. We're coming to the to the point where we have to take the final question. And I have one on my tongue. And that is, Jimmy, what's the next big thing in the blockchain industry? The next big thing in the blockchain industry is driving usefulness. And I think that is going to come from things like games and esports, where you have a native audience that already is interested in using you know, digital assets with these play to earn games. They're super popular. And I think that is where you'll see a lot of consumer usage. Beyond that, I think we are going to see enterprise and even some government usage for simple things like uh, data tracking and providence, such as tracking academic and professional certifications on blockchain to prevent fraud. People talk about supply chain and land registry as well. But some of these more simple uses where there's a benefit to being able to verify data publicly, whether it's your COVID vaccination tracking, for which there's an app on BSV, or tracking academic professional certification so employers know that it's true and still valid that you have some professional certification. We have a project going on at the University of Sharjah, the UAE, to do that. I think those are the uses that will uh, rise to prominence more quickly. They're easier. I, I focus on the pragmatic, what's fast and easy to actually build and get out into the real world. The more complicated things um, that people talk about, uh, I think that that'll take longer. And then finally, of course, we can't uh, avoid talking about NFTs. They're all the craze. I think NFTs went way too crazy, but there's really good use of NFTs and blockchain is a uh, perfect vehicle for having an asset that's non-fungible that you can then authorize multiple applications across the internet to access from one single place in the blockchain. That's a more useful um, you know, advancement of NFTs.
Perfect. That was Jimin Yen from the, for the, he's the founding president of the Global Association for BSV Blockchain about the future of it. Thank you for the insights. Great. And thank you for your time. Let's stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Two, the power of more. From Brockmeyer and Zalo. Innovation thinking.